Well, good morning, and uh, once again, welcome uh, everybody into the house here, and those who are joining us online, we want to welcome you as well. Uh, you picked an awesome Sunday to be at Connecting Point because we're launching into a brand new series this morning, and uh, we're calling this series, We Are. At the beginning of every year, I, I like to spend a little bit of time and, and talk about vision, and uh, this, this year, we really felt like that at the very beginning, we, God was calling us to, to jump into a time of prayer and fasting. So we spent some time doing that and talking about focus. But I, I, I always think that we need to pause for a moment and really talk about kind of who has God called us to be? Where is he leading us as a church? Uh, Andy Stanley once said this. He said uh, that vision leaks. And so we have to kind of come back and revisit it every once in a while because it has a tendency, if we're not focused in on it, to kind of drift a little bit uh, on us. And so um, we, we've got to, it's really important that we, we pause every once in a while and just evaluate, you know, who is God calling us to be as a church? What is Connecting Point Church really supposed to be all about? And again, where is he leading us? And uh, one of the most, probably this is the most actually well-known passages of Scripture in regards to vision is found in uh, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. And the writer of Proverbs says these famous words. He says, where there is no vision, the people perish. He goes on to say, but he who keepeth the law, happy is he. I love the way that the message paraphrase uh, kind of puts this. It says, if people can't see what God is doing, then they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, then they're most blessed. Man, I, I don't want any of us, and I certainly don't want us as a church, uh, to just, you know, live life where we stumble around. To just kind of, you know, meander through life, no clue what God's up to or what he wants us to do, uh, how he's working in us and how he wants to work through us. In my mind, that would be terrible. Uh, instead, my heart is that I, I really want us to be focused in on what God is doing, how he's working, confident in where he's leading, and then just simply responding to however it is that he reveals that he wants to do in and through us. However he reveals. And, that, and scripture says that if we live that way, that's the way to live most blessed. I've said this before, but man, I, I don't want any of you to settle for just being a little blessed. Or kind of blessed. Um, no, my, my heart for you is I want each and every one of us to experience the most blessing possible. How, how tragic it would be someday, you know, if it, someday you enter into eternity, and I've said this before, but you enter into eternity and you see all of these blessings that God had reserved for you, but they were unclaimed blessings, unlived into blessings, unrealized blessings. And, and according to scripture, it says, if we want to receive all of the blessings that God has for us, it's going to take some vision on our part. I want to I begin this morning just by giving you a, a couple of definitions for that word vision, just so we're all on the same page, and, and we, we kind of know where we're headed as we move forward over the next several weeks. But Merriam-Webster says that vision is the act or the power of seeing. In other words, uh, vision is simply the ability to, to see. I know this is groundbreaking stuff here, <laughs> but, but hang with me. Uh, 
There's a second definition according to uh, the Cambridge Dictionary. It says that vision is the ability to imagine how something could develop in the future. So, So in other words, there are really kind of two important aspects of vision. Number one, the ability to clearly see what already exists, but also it's the ability to be able to see beyond what is to what could or what should be. So so according to the writer of Proverbs, he says, without those two things, the ability to clearly see what is, but also the ability to see what could be or what should be, you'll just stumble through life. No clue where you're going. The the, the word that the, the writer of Proverbs uses here for vision is a Hebrew word. It's the word chazan. When you say it, you got to get a little spit in the back of your mouth and say chazan, like that. But chazan, it it literally means to dream or to have revelation. In in this context, it's the ability to be so in tune with what God is up to, 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 to see where he's working around us, but it's also the ability to, we're so in tune to him that we, we receive his revelation into where he's leading, what he wants to lead us into in the future. So some of you have been reading the book, Experiencing God. I've heard several of you comment about that. And I've heard lots of comments go, and most of them are like, man, this is deep stuff. It's challenging stuff. But uh, um, I, I, I shared at the beginning of the year that every once in a while, someone will ask me to, to recommend a good book to read, or somebody will come and say, um, you know, what are, what are some of the books or things that help shape your thinking or, or your belief system, helped you grow in your relationship with God? And, and my number one answer is always the Bible. The Bible's a really good book to read. I highly recommend it. It's a good book. Um, but, but I thought it'd be fun this year if each month we just kind of highlighted a specific book, if you go into my office, you'll see I love books. I have, I have multiple bookshelves in my office. They're all full, and so I got books stacked in places, and it's just it's kind of a mess in there, isn't it? Pastor Brad's laughing because it's books everywhere. But uh, I thought, you know, I want to dig through some of these books that I hadn't read for quite a while, but I, they, they stuck out to me that they had a deep impact in my life. And so um, we, we started in January with Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And, uh, and by the way, we do still have a few of those left. If you want after the service, stop by and at the next steps table. There are some there. Um, and, I, and I also should say we actually have a new book uh, that we're introducing this month. It's called Entrepreneurial Faith which um, as we're going to be talking about vision over the next few weeks, I have not found a book anywhere that articulates uh, the vision that I believe God has given to us in regards to what it means to be the church in this day and age better than this book right here. And uh, a few years ago, in fact, when God really began to kind of download into my own heart where uh, I felt like he was leading us as a church, I was in Kansas City playing golf with a pastor friend of mine, and I was kind of telling him about what God was doing in my own heart. And uh, he said, man, you need to read the book Entrepreneurial Faith. Um, He said, "It, it, it says everything that you're saying except way better. <clears throat> and, uh, and I read it, and he was right. 
And so uh, I had all of the staff read it. I've, uh, since that time, every uh, board member, leadership team member that's, that's come on, I've given it to them and had them read it. And so I thought, you know, especially since we're talking about vision this month, it'd be good to just make it available. Anybody who wants to, to get that, there's a few uh, copies of that out there as well. But, but back to experiencing God, uh, one of the main premises of this book is that there, there are a couple of ways that we can really approach uh, following Jesus. The, the first one is where, you know, we just do our, our best. We make our best plans. We, we think of, you know, what, what do I think would be pleasing to God, either in our own lives or in serving him, and, and, you know, we're like, we're like, God, you know, I want to serve you. And so I'm going to go out and I'm going to do this and this and this for you. And then we ask God to bless whatever it is that we have in our heart to do for him, which truthfully is a way how a lot of people operate. The only problem with that approach is it's not the way that Jesus modeled life for us. Jesus actually gave his model in John chapter five, verse 19 and it's a very, very simple one. He says this. He says the son, he's referring to himself, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son also does these things in the same way. In other words, what Jesus has modeled for us and what he's trying to help us understand is the way that we're intended to navigate through life as we follow Jesus is that we walk in, in the kind of relationship with God where we spend time with him on a regular basis, where we develop the ability to hear his voice. And the way that we do that is simply spelled out T-I-M-E, just by spending time in his presence. And, and as we do that, as we hear his voice, we also, we ask God to give us vision, to, to help us to be able to see where he's already at work. See, one of the things we need to understand is God is always at work around us all the time. And so we ask, God, will you help me to be able to see where you're already at work, what you're already up to, where you want to move, what you want to do. And then it's our job as he begins to reveal that to us to make whatever adjustments in our own lives in order to jump into what God is already doing or what God's already blessing. And so really, it's kind of like, on one hand, we can say, I'm gonna do this, and, and they're good things. You know, I'm gonna do all these good things, and God, would you bless what I'm doing? Or how, the other way is, I'll just jump in and do what you're already blessing. And Jesus says, this is the way that, that I live. I, I can't do anything on my own. I, I see what the Father is doing, and I partner with him, and I do what he's doing. And, and honestly, that really was the motivation a few years ago when we, we began asking this question, what kind of a church do we believe that God wants us to be, connecting point, in 10 years, 10 years from now? What kind of a church does God want us to be? Many of you were involved in those conversations. And, and it was amazing how as we went to group, after group, 
after group and we asked that question and we just listened, what, what is God saying to you? And we wrote your responses down on a whiteboard. There were four words that surfaced over and over and over again in every single conversation. And hopefully by now, these four words are very familiar words to most of you. But, but here they are. In fact, we're going to put them on the screen. I want you to say these with me. The words are belong, connect, grow, serve. Belong, connect, grow, serve. And so collectively, what we said is that we really believe the kind of church that God is calling us to be, this is the vision he has for us, is we are convinced that God is calling us to be a church where everyone belongs, and can genuinely connect, grow, and serve Jesus and each other. That's our vision. Now, do we always do all of those things perfectly? Certainly not. I see lots of heads going, no, we don't. Good, I'm glad you're honest. We, we don't do those things perfectly. Hopefully we're further along today than we were those years ago when we, we first, God first gave us this vision. And there, there definitely are a couple of areas that we do a little bit better than others, but this is the vision. This is the target that we believe God has called us to shoot for. Now, that, that's just the setup of where we're going to be going over the next few weeks. Um, we're just going to kind of take one of these key words each week, belong, connect, grow, serve, and spend a little time unpacking them a little bit. And, and just talk about what would it look like? I, I just had a puberty moment there. Did you? What would it, I felt like Greg Brady in uh, so the older folks remember that change. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. What would it look like if we really lived that out? What, what would it look like if on a day-to-day -day basis, this really was so much of our DNA as a church that we just lived out who we believe God is calling us to be. And so this morning, what we're going to do is I want to focus on the power of belonging. Behavioral scientists will tell you that the need to belong is something that is innately hardwired into every human being. Every single one of us, it's been hardwired in us this, this need, it's an innate need to belong. In fact, I was reading this past week an interview with a social psychiatrist, Roy Baumeister, who uh, is considered to be one of the leading researchers in the area of social psychology. And there are, there are six areas that he kind of focuses in on. And, and one of those in his research centers on the human need to belong. And I want you to listen to what he says because I think it's so powerful. He says, the reason that we commonly refer to belonging as a need rather than merely a desire is because people who fail to satisfy it suffer a variety of both physical and mental health deficiencies, much in the same way as if they fail to satisfy any other intrinsic physical need. In other words, what he's saying is, when an individual feels like I have no place to belong and this, this innate need within them is not being met, then it has an impact, not just psychologically, 
but actually physically on the person. And, and I, I was thinking about this and I thought, really what Baumeister is saying here is simply what God said from the very beginning. Because if you go back to Genesis, when he created man, one of the first things he said is, it is not good for man to be alone. In other words, you and I, when we were created, we were created with this innate need for connection. Deep inside the heart of every human being is the need to be a part of a community. And so there's something very powerful when a, a, a culture or a group of people, kind of like what we have here, when, there's something very powerful when a group like us is welcoming. It, it, it communicates, you know, when a culture is welcoming, it communicates clearly and sincerely, hey, this is a place where you can belong. We're a people that you can belong to. There's something very powerful about that. But here's what I want us to understand this morning is that it is just as powerful when a culture sends a clear message, you do not belong. I mean, you may be amongst us. You may be a, a visitor, but you're clearly not one of us. There's something incredibly powerful about that. A few years ago, shortly after Laura and I had moved to Lincoln, I, I met a, a man, he's a local businessman, we struck up a friend, friendship, and this guy, this guy is very wealthy, he owns a number of businesses and properties, actually all across the United States, and um, every year, he, I don't think he does it anymore, but he, he used to hold this leadership summit, and uh, he invited us to this, this summit, and uh, there, there, you know, there's a guy, again, he runs in, in circles with really wealthy, influential people. And there are a lot of these folks that were at this summit. And after the summit, he invited us to go up to his, his high-rise penthouse apartment that overlooks the city. And so um, I'll just confess that anybody who knows me, uh, you know this, but that is not my scene at all. He invited a bunch of people. It's kind of a mixer type thing. And that's not my scene at all. Dinner parties are not my thing. I'm way more comfortable, you know, with a grill and some burgers and just hanging out than at a fancy dinner party. But I was intrigued because there's part of me that's like, I don't like that, but I've never been in a penthouse before either. <laughs> and so I wanted to see what it was like. And, and so, and let me tell you, I mean, this place was incredible. It was beautiful. There, it was, it was like, two, I'd never been in a two-story apartment before. There were two levels to it. And on the main level, there was this massive kitchen and a big area for entertaining and stuff like that. It's obvious they did this quite a bit. And, and, and there were like six bedrooms. And I didn't know there were six bedroom apartments. There might have been more. I can't count higher than six. But uh, anyway, there were six bedrooms in this. There was a game room. There was a theater room. And I mean, this, this place was incredible. But the most incredible part of it was that you could go on the rooftop and there was a rooftop patio. There was a grill there. So now I'm like, okay, this isn't so bad. <laughs> but the patio furniture out. But the coolest thing was when you look directly north, you had a clear view into Memorial Stadium and the Jumbotron is like right there. And I mean, it was like a beautiful place. All of that was cool and I enjoyed that. The rest of it, not so much. <laughs> 
Because again, I mean, it, it was like um, all of these people that were gathered there, I stood in the midst of them, and, and I don't know if I ever felt more out of place in my life. I, I looked around, and they all seemed to know each other. I didn't know any of them other than him. They all seemed to be connected. I didn't feel like I was connected. They all had a bunch in common. And then there's just Laura and I here. And, and, and it appeared pretty obvious to me that they all belonged to something that we didn't belong to. Now, whether that was reality or not, I don't know. But what I do know is it was my reality. And so we didn't hang out very long. We, we left. But I, I would guess that that scenario is something that all of us have probably experienced in our life in some way or another. Whether it's at a party or a school or at, in the workplace. And unfortunate as, as that is, when it happens anywhere, I think what is most unfortunate is when that happens in the church. I think that's the most unfortunate thing. When, when, when somebody walks into a church building like this, a place where they've come to encounter the love of Jesus only to feel like, I do not belong here. See, the reality is, unfortunately, every Sunday there are those who walk through the doors of churches just like this one and leave feeling the same way I felt when I left that party. Maybe they've never been a church person before. Maybe the whole thing is new to them. Maybe, in fact, uh, researchers tell us that most of the time, people who have never been to church before and are willing to check out church are doing so because they've experienced some kind of pain in their life, and they're like, I've tried everything else, so I might as well give this a try because nothing else has worked. And so they walk in for the first time. They give it a try. They take a huge risk. It's a, it's a massive risk to walk into a place that you're not familiar with. And they take a huge risk. They, they don't know anybody. They don't know any of the rules or the rituals and the routines. And, and they look around. It seems like everybody else does. They all know when you're supposed to stand and when you're supposed to sit and when you're supposed to do this and, and do that. And it, it looks like, you know, they all are connected to each other. They all know each other. They all belong. And I'm not really sure that I do. Now, I don't, I don't think there's a church on the planet who makes people feel like that on purpose. But it is something that just kind of naturally happens if we're not intentional about fostering a culture of belonging. One of the things that I love about Jesus is that he was an expert at making people feel like they belonged. I mean, if you read through the Gospels, one of the things that you'll see is that everywhere that Jesus went, he had this way of just making people feel like that they were welcome, like they, like they belonged. Especially those who most people in most situations felt like they didn't belong. Anywhere. We're told that everywhere that Jesus went, there were, there were people who flocked around him. The crowds would gather. They just wanted to be around him. And, and of course, part of that was is that Jesus had rep, or, or, uh, gained this reputation of being a miracle worker. And so there were a lot of people who were like, you know, I want to see what Jesus is going to do next. So there, there was that, those who just wanted to see the show. 
But for many, the reason that they came was because Jesus had also developed the reputation that he was someone who had this way of making people feel like they just had a place with him. And the truth is, if Jesus did that, and and we're his church, then I'm convinced that he expects for us to see people, to treat people, and do for people the same things he did. I'm just convinced that one of the things that Jesus really wants for us is that we would be a place where people feel like they belong. So how do we do that? I mean, you know, it's, it's one thing to, to slap up a, 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 something on the wall that says you belong here. And, and it's, a, it's a whole other thing to intentionally make that part of our DNA. So, so what is it that Jesus did to give people such a sense of belonging, which ultimately opened the door for them to receive his message of love and forgiveness and grace and mercy? I want to just give you four primary things that Jesus did this morning. There are more than these, but I think these are really the big ones, four four key things. You might want to write these down. The first thing that Jesus did as you look at his life, and particularly in the way that he interacted with people, is Jesus welcomed everyone. Didn't matter what their background was. Didn't matter what their reputation was. Jesus just welcomed everyone. Look at Luke chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. Jesus had sent his apostles out to go out and preach the gospel, to to heal the sick, to cast out demons. And it says when they returned and reported on what they had done, Jesus took them away off by themselves near a town called Bethsaida. I mean, these guys are tired. They've been out on the road. And so Jesus gets them away to a place where they can rest and be by themselves. It says, but the crowds got wind of it and they followed. And what did Jesus do? Instead of, instead of being like, man, we're tired. We need a break. Leave us alone. No, it says that Jesus graciously welcomed them and talked to them about his, the kingdom of God. And those who needed healing, it says he healed. He welcomed them. I love this this word that is used for welcome here. It's a word that literally means to receive someone with great delight. It it, it means to accept. It, it It means to embrace. This is how Jesus treated everyone. Jesus never ignored people. He never saw them as a nuisance or an interruption or, or whatever, you know, into whatever else he had going on. In fact, one of the things that I love about Jesus is that you, you can't help but read through the Gospels and see that Jesus really actually, he actually liked being around people. He loved being around, he, he not only loved being around them, he genuinely loved them. Which for most of them was something that they had never experienced from anybody else. Because if you look at the list of the kinds of people that Jesus tended to hang out with the most, you'll find that they weren't like the who's who of society. Instead, they were society's outcasts. Lepers, tax collectors, prostitutes, women children, 
People who in this culture tended to not be welcomed in many places. Who, who most of the time, these people never felt like they belonged anywhere except around Jesus. I think way too often we underestimate the impact of a welcoming community. I, I think I've shared this story before, but I remember when, I, I think I was, I was in third grade, when my parents moved from Denver, Colorado to, to Kearney. And uh, we moved like in the middle of the school year. And uh, we moved, we, we got settled and everything. And it was like in the middle of a school week when I had my first day of school. And I don't know what was the, I, I don't remember all the details of it, but it seems like it was not only the middle of the year, the middle of the week, but like the middle of the day when we went to school. And so I get there, and not only is school already going on and, and classes are already in session and that kind of a thing, um, but, you know, it's the middle of the year. Everybody kind of already knows each other. Everybody's kind of developed their friend groups and that whole thing. And I walk in, this third, year, third grade little boy, and uh, I'm scared to death walking into a new place. And, and I walk in there, and, and it wasn't, I don't, you know, this was before the days of like, when you watch on TV now, and a new kid comes to school, there's this really cool moment where the teacher brings them up and says, hey class, this is Doug, he's a new student today. And you know, I hope, there was none of that with me. It was like, yeah, find a seat somewhere, kids. <laughs> and so I'm looking around, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to go. And I'll never forget, still, I, I still recall it to this day, there was a little boy by the name of Jim, who apparently saw my discomfort, and he reached out and said, hey, why don't you come and sit by me? Welcome me into the class. Man, I followed Jim everywhere that day. <laughs> the rest of the year, we had lunch together. I ate with him and his buddies. His buddies became my buddies. We played soccer and flag football together, and Jim and I remained great friends all the way through high school. But there was something, there was something powerful. I don't even know that he would even know this to this day. But there was something powerful about a, a third grade boy welcoming somebody else into the class that made all the difference for me. See, what, what I think is that what is true for third grade little boys is true for every person. We have this innate need to belong. And, and, and I'm, I'm just convinced, again, that in all of, the, of all the places in the world and of all the people in the world, there should be no more welcoming of an environment than in the church amongst the body of Christ. I think that's why Paul said this in Romans chapter 15. He says, welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. In other words, if you really want to bring glory to God, one of the simple ways that you can do this is just remember what it was like when you were an outsider. And come on, we've all been outsiders. Remember what it was like when you were an outsider and somebody welcomed you in. And then just do that for other people. And Paul says, if we just do that, that's one of the things that will bring glory to God. Another translation says this, rather than welcome, it says accept one another, just as Christ accepted you, which is actually the second thing that Jesus did. Jesus was not only welcoming to everybody, he was accepting. 
Look at Luke chapter 15, verse 1. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They were complaining about this. See, see, one of the things that the religious leaders absolutely hated about Jesus was the fact that he had the audacity to sit down and share a meal with sinners. Now, now this may not seem like a big deal to us in our culture, but in, in their culture, to sit down and share a meal with somebody was a huge deal. It, it, was a, it was a massive deal because whenever you would share a meal with someone, it was an indication of relationship. You didn't just eat with anybody. You didn't eat with somebody or share a meal with somebody you weren't close to. It was a sign of acceptance. It was a sign of love and genuine care. And so for the Pharisees, they had this way of thinking. It's like, man, if you don't behave like us, then, then, then we're not going to have anything to do with you. In fact, not only can you not belong to our group, they, they were like, we will publicly shame you. Can you imagine if social media would have been in existence like in biblical times? If you don't, be, if you don't belong to us, if you don't believe like us, we will shame you. And we'll, we'll let everybody know, not only that, we'll not only let everybody know how terrible you are, we'll let everybody know that you're not near as good as us. And then here comes Jesus on the scene. And, and it's like he enjoys it's like he has this genuine friendship with people who aren't conforming to all of the religious rules. You see, what Jesus was doing was by associating with people who didn't align themselves with the organized religion was he was actually revealing his entire mission. Jesus' entire mission is that when we're not good enough to get to Jesus, guess what? He'll just come to us. Which, by the way, none of us are good enough to get to Jesus. And so Jesus comes to us. And when he comes to us, he doesn't come and say, you know, if you'll just get yourself cleaned up, if you'll get your act together, then, you know, you can have access to me. No. Instead, Jesus is like, I'm going to give you access to me even though you have done nothing to deserve it. It's called grace. I'm going to give you access to me even though you don't deserve it. See, Jesus accepted people right where they were. And the reason the Pharisees were ticked off is because Jesus is hanging out with sinners, not, not former Sinners. Sinners. People actively engaged in sin. In Matthew chapter 9, it tells us what kind of sinners. It says he's hanging out with tax collectors, which in that culture are like the worst kind of sinners. Ta tax collectors were, were often the most hated of any group of people because tax collectors were guilty of treason. They were robbing their own people. They had aligned themselves with the invading power of Rome and they were extorting money out of their own people. And so they were like the worst kind of sinners. And yet Jesus 
accepted them while they are sinning. Wow. I don't, I don't know about you, but I love that about Jesus. I am thankful for that. I'm thankful for it because when Jesus saw me, I was a sinner, actively engaged in sinning in the midst of my mess. And Jesus didn't reject me, but instead he pursued me and he accepted me right where I was. Now now listen, real quick, because I think this is important. One of the things that has gotten kind of messy in our culture is that some people have tried to um, change the definition of acceptance. In, in other words, we've tried to, like, if, if, if um, you, you don't accept me unless you affirm every decision that I make. If you don't affirm or agree with everything that I do, then you don't accept me. Listen, can I just tell you, Laura does not affirm every decision that I make, but she accepts me. She loves me. But, but this, is, this has gotten kind of messy, and we need to understand that Jesus accepted sinners, but I don't read anywhere in the Gospels where he celebrated their sin. Jesus was called a friend of sinners, not a friend of sin. He, he hung out with tax collectors. He accepted them right where they were, but never do we read where Jesus is like, yay, tax collectors, way to go and extorting money, man. <laughs> keep it up, good job. Keep, keep robbing people. Keep ta- Jesus never celebrated that. He, he, didn't, he didn't celebrate sin, but he accepted sinners. He loved them right where they were. And because he loved them, See, this is really important. Because Jesus loves sinners so much, of which you and I are ones, because he loves us so much, he'll love us right where we are, but because of his great love, he doesn't want to leave us where we are. He didn't come to condemn us. He came to rescue us. And so because of his great love, he accepts us and loves us right where we are. But because he loves us so so much, he wants to move us from where we are and the consequences of where we are into who he created us to be so that we can walk in freedom. But he loved them where they are. Listen, I've talked about this before, but I think there's a tendency sometimes in the church where we get we get things backwards. And, and, and we kind of use this pharisaical model. We don't intend to, but it, it tends to come out where the pharisaical model is that if you behave like us and you believe like us, then you can belong to us. Now, that's not at all the way that, that Jesus modeled. It, it wasn't like, you know, if you, be, if you behave the way we behave, if, if you dress like us, if you talk like us, if you listen to the kind of music that we listen to, if you behave like us, then you can belong to us. The, the only problem with that is, is it just kind of flies in the face of the way that Jesus modeled, this is the way you do life. When Jesus met Peter, Peter was a foul-mouthed fisherman with a hot temper. 
He didn't behave at all like Jesus. And what Jesus say? Come follow me. Come, come hang out with me. When, when, when Jesus met Mary, she was a prostitute. Jesus said, hey, Mary, come, come follow me. When, when Jesus met Matthew, he was a tax collector. And Jesus was like, come on, man. You are welcome to hang out with me and follow me. And then as they hung around with Jesus, as they watched how he navigated through life, how, how he loved people, as they saw the reality that his life was matching up to his words, then eventually they began to believe, maybe this guy's the real deal. Maybe he really is the Messiah. And then because they began to, to believe, then once they believed, guess what happened? Their behavior began to change. Why? Because as a man thinketh, so is he. Whatever it is that we believe comes out in the way that we live our lives. So, so what if instead of this model of if you behave and believe like us and you can belong to us, we just did it like Jesus and instead it was belong, behave, believe. You, you can belong to us even before you believe what we believe. There's a place for you, even before you believe what we believe, even before you behave like we behave. What if we just did that? Jesus was accepting. He was welcoming. And the number three, this is a big one, Jesus assigned value to people. Let me just give you an example of this. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read it. You can look at it later. But in Matthew chapter 18, there's this argument that broke out. Actually, last yesterday, a group of us went to see uh, the first three episodes of The Chosen, and there was, this was kind of depicted in The Chosen. It was kind of a humorous thing, but there was this argument that broke out between the disciples as to who is the greatest. I mean, wh who's going to have, the, wh what place of position and power are they going to have in Jesus' kingdom? And we know Jesus' response. His response is he's trying to help them understand. He says, hey, what you need to think about is not who's the most powerful, but who's the least. In the kingdom of God, the least is the greatest. And what he's trying to help them understand is my kingdom is not about achieving position and power. My kingdom is how low can you go? I mean, how much can you serve? How much can you give yourself away? How can you model the way I've come to live my life and there's no greater love than when somebody's willing to lay their life down for other people? That's what my kingdom's all about. And so we, we read that story and, and, you know, we see that, you know, he kind of gets on them a little bit. But all that aside, I think one of the reasons that they all felt like they were the greatest in the kingdom was because Jesus treated each of them like they were the greatest. I think he just, he assigned them so much value. He treated each of them in the same way with such value that their minds were like, man, me and Jesus are like this. Nobody can be closer to Jesus than I am. And the truth is, they all were. It was genuine. 
I mean, Peter, Peter's probably like, come on, guys. I mean, I am like Jesus' go-to guy. He changed my name, gave me the name Rock. He said he's going to build his church on this rock, Peter. So you know that I'm the guy that Jesus loves the most. And John's like, wait a second, wait a second. Uh, it seems like I recall that I'm often referred to as the disciple that Jesus loves. And so, of course, John wrote that. But uh, anyway... <laughs> So, I mean, he's got to love me the most because it's like written down. And Judas is like, hey, guys, I know all that, but don't forget, who did he trust the money to? And the Bible says that where your heart is or where your treasure is, there your heart is. And so, come on, I've got to be the one. And so I think about that, and I think, yeah, they all felt that way. The, The point is, I think that Jesus loved to be around his disciples so much and they loved to be around him so much that they all just felt valued. Man, I, I've got a, uh, you've heard me mention this before, but uh, one of my mentors and, and professors was uh, Dr. Larry Fine and it's kind of interesting when I get together with other people who had him as a mentor and, and as a professor because we all say the same thing. We all felt like we were his favorite. Wouldn't it be something if we made people feel like that? Genuinely. We just added so much value to people's life. We just loved them so much that people felt valued. See, people long to be in a place where they are valued. Last one, and this is the greatest one. And I believe everything that Jesus did flowed out of this. If Jesus did anything, he did this. He was constantly expressing his love in tangible ways, constantly. Earlier I said that innately, it's hardwired into each of us, into every single human being, the need to belong. I think that it probably would be even more accurate to replace the word belong with the word loved. All of us hardwired into us. It's been, it's been, when we were created by God, he created us in such a way we were created to love and to be loved. In fact, that is so hardwired into us and it's so obvious that it, that is the main area that the enemy tries to creep in and sneak in and distort in any way that he can. False kinds of love that we chase after. He'll attack our our sense of even our our lovability, that man, nobody could love you. Why would anybody love you? Why, Why does he do that? Because he's been hardwired in us. We were created to love and to be loved. That's what we're really longing for. But what we're really searching for in this need to belong is we're searching for a place where we can be validated and it can be demonstrated that not only you, you're, you belong here because you're loved, because you're valuable, because you're important. There's a reason that John 3.16 is the most famous, the most memorized, the most quoted verse in the entire Bible. We, we, we all know it, right? For God 
so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, see the, the message of the gospel is that God has placed in each and every human heart this, this longing to know and experience genuine life-giving love. And the mission of Jesus, the whole reason that he came is because he wanted you personally to know how much God loves and values and cares for you. He loves you so much that he sent his one and only son. The, the thing that was most precious to him, he sent his son into the world, not, not only to forgive you of your sin, but because his greatest desire is for you to belong to his family forever. That's what he wants. That was his entire mission. And guess what, church? As followers of Jesus, that's our mission too. Our mission is to be carriers of God's love, valuing people, accepting people, welcoming people, and loving people, regardless of where they come from. This is who we want to be, right? A church where every single person knows that they belong. If we can just do that, I think we'll be doing good. I want to invite you now to just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment as we wrap things up. And I don't know, there may be somebody here this morning and you hear all this and say, yeah, it's great. Um, but you personally have never taken that step of faith and embraced the love that God has for you by accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. By receiving the free gift of forgiveness that he has for you. And I, and I would just challenge you this morning. Pastor Brad says this a lot at the beginning of our service. He says, we believe that you came here not on accident, but on purpose because God has something that he wants to do in your life. And I, I believe for any person who's in this room or who's listening to my voice this morning over the internet, I believe that the reason that you've been drawn here if you don't know him is so that you can. See, there's a place of belonging with Jesus. Maybe your entire life, you never felt like you belonged anywhere. Maybe the enemy has convinced you that, man, you've gone too far, you've done too much. And, you know, if there is a God, he could never accept somebody like you. Can I just tell you this morning that God came in the form of Jesus to pay the penalty of your sin because he loves you so much. And it's not because you were good enough. None of us are good enough. It's because of his great love and his desire for you to belong to him and for him to belong to you. And so this morning, I just want to invite you, if you're here and you say, man, I would like to take that step of faith and I would like to receive the love that God has for me. I would like to invite him into my life. I just want to say a prayer. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you in any way, but I'm just going to ask with every head bowed and every eye closed, just to slip your hand up real quick so I know that I can include you in that prayer. Yeah, thank you. Anybody else? Yeah, yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, you can put your hands down. 
Father, this morning as we're here, we're reminded of the great love that you have for us, that there is, there's no greater love than when somebody is willing to actually give their life for somebody else. And uh, Lord, your word says that, you know, there may be some who might do that for a friend, but you did that for us when we were still your enemies. We were enemies of the cross. That's how great your love is. And so this morning, I pray for each and every single person who had the courage to lift up their hand and say, I want to take that step of faith. I want to receive that kind of love. I want to belong to the family of God. I want to invite you in the quietness of your own heart just to simply repeat these words. Make this prayer your own. Dear God, I receive you today. I receive your love. I know that I've sinned and I'm a sinner. I'm the kind of people that you came to hang out with and to love and accept and who you came to rescue and transform. And so today I not only confess that, but I repent of my sin. I turn away from it. I, I, I want to live a life that is pleasing to you. I, I want to learn what it's like to really follow after you. And so my prayer is, as I receive you today and I receive your love and as you receive me that you would help me to do that teach me how to follow you help me to hear your voice give me the ability the courage to respond to you as I listen to you thank you for receiving me today Father as I prayed that prayer with those who lifted their hands there are others in this room who maybe didn't have the courage to do that today I pray that you would continue to draw them by your spirit to yourself. You, you came to love us. Your love is immeasurable, unfathomable. It's beyond anything that we could even imagine. But there are others in this room who have been walking in that for years. And Lord, I pray that today would be a reminder of who you've called us to be. We want to be a place where people feel like they belong, where we welcome people and accept people and value people and love people. Help us just to be like you, I guess, is what I'm asking for. And not just within the walls of this building. We recognize that this building, this structure, it's not the church. We are the people. And so wherever we go, that's where the church is supposed to go. And so help us to take all of those things with us into our neighborhoods, into our homes, into our places of work, into our schools. Help us to be a people who just love others and give a sense of belonging. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this morning. And uh, come back, I guess it's time to go, the Lord said. Uh, come back next week and bring somebody with you.